Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. So today I'm interviewing someone who knows a lot about CDOs. A CDO is a Chief Digital Officer or a Chief Data Officer for people that don't know. And David Matheson is actually the world's leading authority on CDOs, having been quoted by CNBC, Computer World, Deloitte, Financial Times, Forbes, Guardian, McKinsey, MIT, Sloan Management Review, VentureBeat, Wall Street Journal, and many others. So from 1999 to 2002, he was the founder and the CEO of Connector Corporation, and he raised $30 million in under two years, and now it's part of Oracle. So from 94 to 99, he was pioneering amazing online content syndication with Thomson Reuters when he was VP of Thomson Reuters. And yeah, he's he's someone that I've learned a huge amount from, and he's got more than 30 years experience in the high-tech information publishing software and events industries. And yeah, this will be a really interesting episode. We're going to talk about big data, the future of the world with big data and this kind of stuff. So I hope you enjoy it and please feel free to share it with your friends. And uh, yeah, I'm quite excited about this. The future of the world is very exciting. Hello, David. It's it's lovely to uh, lovely to speak to you again after a few months, and uh, we had the pleasure of working together a couple of times over at the. Um, well, we went to Las Vegas, didn't we, with uh, with IBM? And uh, were you there with when Will Smith was speaking? Yes. As a matter of fact, I was on the floor uh, right in front of him. Uh, it's great to be with you again, Nathaniel. We go way back, and um, one of the things before we get into IBM, I really appreciated was. One of the first times we worked together was in 2014. It was at the BBC, and it was our first ever London CDO Summit. It was sponsored by Accenture Digital. And I'll never forget it because you helped us to trend on Twitter. It was the first time we ever trended on Twitter. And we had like out-trended, you know, even the mayor of London at the time. So I appreciate all your work and uh, hello to all your fans and followers out there. Uh, I'm very delighted to be on the show with you today. But yeah, we were recently, I guess, at IBM. Thank at you. their Think conference, and uh, I was a Watson influencer. I'm going to the San Francisco event coming up in February, and uh, w- Will Smith was unbelievable. He was so powerful in his presentation and uh, just j- came off really, really nice and had some really g- great, appropriate uh, jokes, as I recall, too, uh, yeah. about data and all the digital people in the room. But that, that was they always get great guests, don't they? Oh, it was it was it was absolutely phenomenal. I I just couldn't stop laughing. Really, he just took the he took. We, in England, we say take the Mikey, take the Mickey out of people, and and um, it's the polite way to put it. And yeah, and he took the Mickey out of this guy, this Titan watches guy from from India, unfortunately. And they he sort of said he needs a spokesperson and 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 all this kind of stuff, you know. And and I think it's just really quite really quite on point actually with with the kind of he was just so on the ball with the kind of influencer marketing trend that is sort of happening right now and you know there's so much that we could talk about and i'm sure we're going to talk some more on 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 future future shows right but i think i think you know we were just briefly talking about in 10 years time what the world is actually going to look like and 
I learned so much from attending your your CDO summit, and it was absolutely incredible. When I when I uh, when I went to the first one, it was just amazing. And 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 in fact, the second the second event that I attended, I I really learned a massive amount about the future of uh, retail. Actually, uh, this is bricks and mortar retail we're talking about. And what I found was amazing was actually what the New York government were doing in new york and 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 i think that's just so interesting about how they say you want to have a business and you you're like well where is it going to be the best location for my new coffee shop then they actually analyze that data for you right and then they say well your best bet is to have a shop here on 23rd street because you've got the amount of traffic that you need and then the right demographics and blah 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 is that right it's all data-based. And then on top of that, once they get in the store, then uh, they use everything from, you know, collated weather data to traffic data to find out if, you know, it's going to be raining tomorrow. Should we put the umbrellas on the end cap when people first walk in the store, you know, put a sale up or put a, put up, a, you know, uh, 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 rain jackets and things like that. So I think uh, most companies have gotten not only really intelligent about uh, actively uh, using data when the when the org- when the store is in place, but as you rightly point out, even before the location is decided, they're using data to figure out where the next physical location uh, should be. It's a, it's amazing, but you know, not unusual. I mean, we're seeing the growth of. Uh, I think when we talk about where do we see the world in in five years or ten years, there's this real time use of data. Uh, to make the right decisions and be more predictive and prescriptive about uh, business is uh, is really taking over. And uh, some of the best programmers we're seeing are from the UK and from the US, and I would say also China. I mean, some of the best AI programming is coming out of uh, out of China these days. So some expect you know we could expect even more tremendous growth uh, over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually heard, I've heard a lot about China. China seems to be, you know, you were just sort of saying seems to be uh, really catching up on that front. I mean, I, I did find it quite funny. I, I saw, um, I saw it on that, on that note, I saw a, 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 one of those pictures, you know, from up in the air. Like I think I can't remember how many million pixels or something it was. I, I, I'm probably wrong, but uh, on the amount of pixels, but when you zoom in and you look at all the people, I think I, I, I had a look and there were probably like about four people on their mobile phones. Yeah. And and then I kind of went back a few years and looked at one in London, one of these pictures. And I and I sort of had a look there and I was like, wow, OK, so this is really quite a dirty looking city. Right. Because like, London's quite a bit like New York, isn't it? And and, uh, you know, Sydney or whatever. And I think the Chinese government had actually just sort of probably doctored this 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 picture, which I did find quite quite amusing. But you know, I think I think people are going to start using their phones a lot less. I think I think like Elon Musk was saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of become more at one with our machines. But I but I also think that we're gonna also detach from our machines as well, you know, because the amount mm-hmm. of data that we're actually building up when we do wear the iWatch. I mean, I don't have an iWatch. I don't, I don't do the sensor thing on my, on my wrist and whatever, but I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to probably have a chip in our arm. We're going to, we're going to probably have the, uh, I think someone was saying, you know, we're going to have the um, contact lenses with, with particular screens on or glasses and, and this sort of stuff. I mean, 
what's your what's your sort of view on 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 all of that kind of uh, nascent uh, new tech, uh, David? Yeah, well, first on the photo, I mean, uh, it, as you rightly point out, this was a photo that came out of China. I think you're referring to this. It's like a. It is exactly a 24.9 billion pixel camera. Yeah. that they created in China. Billion pixels, right? 24.9 billion. And it's basically a panorama. Anyone can search on this. It's an actual, actually a fascinating exercise. Just search. Uh, actually, the best way to search this one would be, it was, yeah, 24.9 billion pixel. And the result of it was a 195 gigapixel photo. That's like a panorama of, uh, of China. And yeah. you can literally make out individual blades of grass. Like there's people all over this city and you can zoom in and see people's facial expressions from, yeah. you know, really almost a quarter of a mile up into the sky. I mean, yeah. so the, the kinds of uh, just imagine when this is uh, commercialized and just about, you know, we look at the, ca the capabilities of our cameras on our phones now and think, oh, my God, you know, within three to five years, this kind of capability could be uh, mass pr mass produced That's well, just for a low cost. This is getting crazy. It could be. I mean, I, what's really interesting, my dad was actually talking to me about his time in the Korean War because he, he, he was in the Korean War, right? Because he's, he's from, uh, from America, yeah? He actually was in, was in the Air Force and he was in intelligence in the Air Force. And, and at one point, he bought a million lenses right for reconnaissance and he was actually up in an aeroplane i believe over a quarter of a mile up in the air and he could read a newspaper back in those days from that amount from from an aeroplane wow so how how much are we really going to move forwards and what do these people have in their in their in their secret kind of um, laboratories right i mean that's that's in essence mm. what we're what we're talking about it's just so vast i think that's the that's the problem is people are sort of they're almost what would you call it they've almost become apathetic because inactivity has been caused because of too much information david yeah well that's the so the the irony of that photo you're you're pointing out almost all of the challenges of data in the future, right, is that it relates to privacy and security, basically privacy of the individual. Do you really want your image, you know, anywhere you walk in a city, if you can be captured by a 195 gigapixel camera, you know, uh, you could be photographed by corporate, you know, not just uh, government agencies, but corporations, individuals who are, you know, blackmailers, you know, you name it. I mean, there's all kinds of nefarious possibilities with the future of technology, any technology. So the irony of that photo, though, is it was commissioned by the government in Shanghai. And of course, anyone who's been to China knows when you take a picture, even a picture, for example, of the Forbidden City, you know, you get up on the hill on Jingyang Park and take this panoramic shot of the Forbidden City. Just to the right of the Forbidden City is the Chinese, you know, the equivalent of uh, Tendana Street or the White House, mm -hmm. where, you know, you're basically, you cannot, you cannot photograph that area. You can't go inside. You can't take an aerial photograph. And yet, you know, they let people go to the top of that park and take photos of the Forbidden City. You're, in effect, taking photos of a, you know, a banned site. And, you know, the same thing is true in China when you do any kind of communications. It's almost impossible when you're behind the Great Firewall of China, right? You, they've banned 
anything Google, so you can't use YouTube or Gmail or Google Calendar or even Google Search, and you certainly can't use Twitter or Facebook. Almost everybody over there uses WeChat. So the again, the, going back to the irony of the photo, on the one hand, you've got this uh, big pixel company uh, headquartered in China. Uh, on the other hand, China doesn't want their citizens taking photos like this. And also, you know, the government, of course, is, is censors a lot of the websites and a lot of uh, photos like this in and of themselves. So uh, it, it all wraps up into that big challenge in the future of technology is how much do how much does technology help us? How much does it hurt us? You know, do we want our private lives to be able to be spied on by just about anyone with one of these gigapixel cameras in their phone or a government agent spying on each other? Uh, it, it, it really goes into all of those issues that, uh, that, that marry privacy plus security plus, you know, high technology. How private do you want to be? I mean, I know people who've changed their names because they became really successful to become more anonymous, you know. Hey, look, you know, you and I, you and I know that the Reuters, the Reuters guys, you know, I worked with Reuters from 94 to 98. And back in those days, the Reuters photographers are all over the world, you know, and they'll take a bullet to get a story. I mean, whether it's in Northern Ireland or covering the drug wars in Cali in Colombia or Medellin, you know, these guys are serious. They go out there with no cat, no, no guns, no ammunition, just to cut, just a camera and put themselves in the line of fire to get it, to get a great shot. Well, you know, at the same time, back in those days, I remember, you know, mid nineties, when I first started working for them, you needed to go out and get uh, permission. You needed to have a, I forget what they called it, but it was a, like a permission sheet where people would sign it, uh, uh, saying that they waived their rights, you know, to the photo so that, you know, Reuters could use it commercially and, and market it and, and put it up in newspapers and stuff. Nobody does that today. You know, I, I still, you know, like people take photos of each other and post them up on Facebook, never thinking of, you know, going out and getting a release. I guess it was called a release form, right? Like a model release one or two pager. Oh, we don't even think about the, that these days, but there are still old school people who say that, you know, I'm not going to put up a photo and promiscuously tag people that I may or may not know because, you know, that's an invasion of their privacy. But I think most millennials growing up today don't even think that way. You know, they're just immediately posting, tagging, and they don't consider the consequences of the privacy of the person that they're tagging. Yeah. I sound like an old man. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, you think back just how much things have changed in just 15 or 20 years from a, from something where, you know, the privacy of the, of the individual was held up to the highest standard. And now it's like, you know, people take privacy for granted. Yeah. We give away our rights to Facebook and to Google and to oh, yeah. everybody else. And so uh, Pandora and Instagram. Uh, and so this gigapixel camera, I guess, is the next step in that evolution of the, the devolution of our, of our privacy. Yeah, well, let's, let's, we will see what happens with the privacy stuff. I mean, uh, it's such a big bit. It's such big business technology, isn't it? At the end of the day, and and it's a it's a whole conversation that could just could last the whole episode, really, couldn't it? You know, um, uh, sure. But I think yeah. I think it's it's the future looks quite bright, actually. I mean, I think I think in terms of in terms of uh, providing solutions for hunger, um, uh, getting maximum nutrition to to into food. Yeah. Um, maximum, mm -hmm. maximum, um, you know, water and, and not too much water. Um, I, I think I think there are some very bright things around the corner. I can't I can't actually talk about what I spoke to someone about today, but I think they're in 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 that space of, of actually growing 
growing um, crops. Um, it's it's going to be quite exciting, actually. Um, I've got a podcast coming oh, absolutely. out in, let me see, it'll be about a week and a half it's coming out and uh, it, it's going to be, he's, he's actually getting some advertising, I think, on, on, I think it's on, is it the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks? Yeah, uh, Super Bowl, a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So correct. he's getting some advertising on there, so that'll be coming out then. I can't can't talk about it. I've been sworn to secrecy. So <laughs> what can I say? But but in in so in terms of like security, right, and and internet security, and and blockchain, and and AI, and all this kind of stuff, right? It's all a bit like a hyperbole for for a lot of people. Like they're just lost in this in the kind yeah. of world of, of techno speak and jargon that is just what techies use, you know? And how do you think like blockchain can, can actually assist us with, with security, uh, David? Well, the wonderful thing about distributed leather, ledger technologies, but you know, blockchain included, but I would also expand beyond the open source blockchain to things that are more private, but have higher transactions such as, you know, Hedera Hashgraph, where there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, whereas with blockchain, it's, it's still very slow, you know, just a few transactions per second. Mm-hmm. So widespread use of blockchain, the real big use case or best use case, as everybody knows, has been cyber, you know, cryptocurrencies such as uh, Bitcoin on top of the blockchain DLT. But I, I certainly think that to simplify and summarize the importance of blockchain going forward, to me, it's as simple as looking at 1994 to 1995. You know, 1994, you had all of these heterogeneous, you know, completely spread out systems. If you wanted to get your content into AOL, you had to write Blackbird. If you wanted to get into MSN for Microsoft Network, you had to write, you know, Rain Man and, you know, Fortunately, everything standardized over HTML, over HTTP, and we had a standard protocol and a standard markup language so that anybody with a browser could look at the web, right? Now, blockchain takes that a step further. And the wonderful thing about it is that for for me, because I come from a media background and, you know, I had published a book called Be the Media, which was, you know, really looking at the renaissance of, of, you know, any author musician, filmmaker, journalist, photographer could really take advantage of the internet and not have to sign that onerous publishing contract or film distribution arrangement or, you know, music label agreement so that they'd move away from these indentured servitude, you know, uh, programs where they'd only get 15 or 7 to 15% of the royalties from their work. Now they could actually get by self-publishing a higher percentage of royalties. Well, the challenge with all that was, or it still is, is that there wasn't really a mechanism. Let's say you put a photo up on Facebook. There wasn't really a mechanism to track the intellectual property of where does that photo go? Does somebody use that photo and post it into a marketing brochure where they're making money off of your work? Well, the wonderful thing about blockchain is you can track the intellectual property of anything that you put out on the internet. You could also include, for example, smart payments, where if somebody uses it, you know, your photo for a wedding, you know, album or for a print publication or a marketing brochure, everything is delineated in the smart contract and you get paid. The the originator of that content gets paid a a microtransaction or a fee for each one of the uses of their work. Well, Hmm. this is, uh, so to sum up, the blockchain, for, at least for independent artists and for anyone doing authentication, you know, big, big financial firms, financial service firms, insurance agencies, you know, anyone doing a lot of work with uh, cryptocurrencies and central banks, 
this is as big. Blockchain right now is as big as 1994, 1995 was for the internet. It is going to not only dramatically change and shift the playing field, but it's also going to disrupt a lot of disruptors. You know, not only is it disrupting incumbents, and you got to be a lot of big financial services firms and insurance companies and others taking blockchain very seriously, but it's also going to disrupt Pandora and YouTube and Spotify and others where they're aggregating uh, both, you know, music and uh, listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's really no way for the musician to make any money from that Spotify or Pandora model. They've got to get millions and millions of spins just to make pennies. Mm -hmm. So what I thought, you know, when I published my book, Be the Media, was going to be a renaissance of creativity and the ability for artists to fund their work through their fans never materialized. We saw things like Indiegogo and Kickstarter help with the onboarding process of getting uh, not uh, no need to get a label contract just to get an advance. Mm -hmm. That's what the Indiegogo and Kickstarter help with. You no longer need to get an advance because you have your funds, your fans fund the project. But there was no real ongoing method of tracking and getting paid for the work as this stuff goes out across the internet. Well, you know, blockchain does that and, and much, much more. So I think from both the perspective of big corporations needing to get involved with blockchain and also young independent artists, uh, it's a great way of monetizing content and being able to track the origination and distribution of that content. Wow. But, you know, there's a lot of interpretations in different fields on how this is best used. But coming from my perspective, I see those as some pretty big use cases. Yeah. I mean, I personally... In terms and gaming. I mean, gaming is huge too. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I just avoid that myself. But I think in terms of in terms of kind of like traceability of ROI on marketing, like blockchain, if we can, if, you know, in five years' time, the traceability on marketing, you know, when one of these people... How many years ago said, you know, out of 100% they spend on marketing, they don't know where 50% has gone, right? I mean, I think right. so blockchain potentially has the power to actually slap the, the social media and Google and all these other people into, into check and say, well, actually, you know, the infrastructure here could be, could be much better. And, and, you know, products are being developed all the time to, to target people. You know, I mean, I, I did an episode with, uh, with Billy, um, who's Billy Howard, who's, uh, over in, over in New York as well. And we talked about this, this new mar mar marketing technology that those guys are pioneering. And it's, and it's basically about storytelling and how to tell your story better to get a brand message right so that people buy your stuff and, and tell other people to buy your stuff right so mm -hmm. everything's going to become a lot more targeted yeah like doing all this kind of all this stuff with facebook and 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 you know how they persuaded all these people to do things they didn't want them to do and all this and lost data and all this other stuff right it 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 has made and GDPR. I was reading something today. GDPR has made advertising actually more focused and more targeted on people because actually mm. those people will buy the product. They will enjoy the marketing messaging because that marketing messaging is targeted towards them. So that so actually GDPR has done the marketing uh, world a, a favor because it's actually going to improve ROI based based upon that and reduce spam right like we all hate spam you know but yeah but there's just so much going on i mean i've heard a lot about ai within security and 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 how how you know ai is going to really improve security right but but i think 
with the chief chief digital officers which is your your specialty yeah what what amazing things have have some of these people done david that you know about that you think is going to get better in the next sort of 5 5 years well it's funny you know when we were chatting earlier you mentioned you learned a lot from the 2014 london cdo summit mm-hmm. so you know for your listeners i'm the founder of the CDO club. We were a membership organization founded in 2011 for chief digital, chief data, chief analytics officers, chief information security officers. And then we started running summits in 2013. And by 2014, we had done our first event in London at the BBC. And, you know, just thinking about some of the talent that was there, I mean, that was an incredible event. We had, so just some of the big organizations that were represented included like, you know, Mark Durnley at the time was chief digital and information officer at HMRC. I mean, to think about, you know, a digit digitizing uh, the tax process and also in the States, the, the HMRC for our listeners here is the equivalent of the IRS. It's a massive, massive project. And Mark had a huge brief. And then of course, we also had Mark Reed. Mark Reed at the time was CEO of WPP digital. And now since then, He's become CEO like about a month ago. He became CEO of all WPP. I mean, that is the world's largest ad agency. And Mark Reed started as a CDO. And we had Charlie Redmayne, who was originally CDO at HarperCollins. And he became CEO at HarperCollins because anyone doing the job of digital, if if you're the one who's led the organization and led that company from an analog to a digital company, it's likely that you're going to be running the show. And, you know, Charlie's been there. Since 2013, he's been CEO of uh, HarperCollins UK for four years. Wow. We also had Mike Bracken, you know, who at the time was incredible. He was executive director of the government digital uh, uh, service. And that was a massive uh, project for Mike. We made him CEO of the year. We had Amanda Hill, who was chief brands officer at the BBC, and Ralph Rivera, who was the director of the digital transformation at the BBC. All of those people, these are high-level people, you know, and I agree with you on you know, sort of what, what have these people been working on and now where are they going? Mm. You know, so what's next now for these people who are so accomplished in their fields for, you know, the last decade? What are the things they're looking at? And I can tell you the main projects that the, the, if you put it into three broad categories, one is digital transformation never seems to end. I mean, the, the HMRC has now been through, they now have a new uh, chief digital officer. So the goals that they had for uh, Mark Durnley and his team, you know, they uh, went through all of those goals and now they have new strategic goals that they need to hit because there's a, a new disruption du jour, you know, mm-hmm. as blockchain comes out, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So number one out of the three is digital transformation really never seems to end, you know, because the disruptions are coming fast, fast and furious. Mm-hmm. Number two, data is driving everything. You know, data literally is driving all decisions, real time mm-hmm. data. Um, uh, to be more predictive and prescriptive with your analysis on anything from, you know, retail outlets to, uh, you know, weather affecting traffic patterns and and not only physically in, in, uh, on the roads and in the streets, but also in stores. Uh, and then thirdly, after, after data and within data, I would bundle, uh, you know, pretty much AI, DL, uh, deep learning, machine learning, cognitive, you know, bundle that all in under, under data. And then lastly is cybersecurity, which is an ongoing issue. We just had yet another massive breach of uh, this time the Marriott, where 
not only were passwords and home addresses stolen, but also people's passport numbers. Wow. So after the Yahoo breach, you know, this is the second largest breach in the world, and it continues on and on and on. So uh, how do countries, companies, individuals, you know, how do individuals protect their privacy? Uh, but also how do companies and government organizations get enough information from these people, from, from us, uh, so that they can continue to be, to, to do business and to provide government services for us in an efficient way without encroaching on our, uh, our increasing need for privacy and for security. These are the balances. And those three things, data, digital transformation, and cybersecurity are really our focus. And in 2010 or 2011, when we first started doing this, we kind of made a bet that this was all going to be important. And now it's, across, as you've seen, Nathaniel, we've gone, we're now in just about every country. We're just starting to dip our feet and toes in the water of China. It's huge, the opportunity there, especially with AI and with security. And uh, we don't see this going away anytime soon, especially the data side, which is just way overshadowing the chief digital officer side. We're seeing a tremendous amount of growth in the new hires of chief data officers and chief data scientists. It's it 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 is absolutely massive. It, it's it's becoming the actual well the the underpinning of all business enterprise. Without 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 those three things, and actually keeping an eye on it, though there are going to be many more businesses just disappearing and, and folding because they're not going to allocate resources enough. You know to to the right areas of the business. They're not going to be able to keep up with demand. They're going, to, they're going to basically just keep purchasing stuff that they just don't need at the wrong prices. And their competitors are going to put them out of business. I mean, I hate to say it. But that's, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's been happening for, for the last 10 years. And now it's happening even. To, so now we're at the point where the disruptors are getting disrupted. And by that, I mean, it took 100 years for Craigslist to put the classifieds out of business. And the newspapers basically undercut the entire business model of, uh, you know, an entire industry, newspapers. And, uh, but the sh shortly thereafter, you saw things like, especially they, they got more nuanced by that. I mean, not just classifieds like personals, but if you think about personals, well, Craigslist then got disrupted by, by, you know, uh, kettle of fish and by match.com. So that took only 10 years. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing like match.com got disrupted by Tinder and Grindr. You know, where all it is is swipe right, swipe left. I mean, how much simpler can you be for user interface, right? Yeah. So now the disruptors are disrupting the disruptors in a time frame that's more aggressive. It doesn't take 10 years to disrupt the company anymore. Now it only takes a year or two. So, you know, what's next? Can personals be uh, disrupted further? Absolutely. Think about, you know, uh, virtual reality, you know, where you can meet people in a VR world or, you know, wearables where my T-shirt can you know, like your T-shirt and our T-shirts can go out on a date. I mean, you know, like there are all kinds of possibilities where even personals will be disrupted. And you can think, well, you know, swipe right, swipe left. The user interface doesn't get more simple than that. Well, maybe it does. Maybe we don't even need to swipe. Maybe it's, you know, uh, it already knows our preferences and it looks for people who are in line with the people that we want to meet, either professionally or personally. These are the kinds of things where I said before that data is getting more predictive and prescriptive that, you know, I don't need to physically uh, be in a location to meet somebody, uh, you know, and our AI robot can do the work for us, you know, a, lot, a large majority of the, of the vetting process of, of doing personal. So, you know, you could think that across any field, the fact is disrupting is coming faster, it's faster and furiouser, and even the disruptors are getting disrupted at this point with, with very low, at a very low cost 
that's the, the big key is you don't need to have these giant server farms anymore. Just plug everything into AWS and you're up and running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a vision. I saw that Mercedes a few years ago, you know, the self-driving Mercedes where you, you know, if you, did you see it? The saloon? No. Yeah, it's amazing. And you could sit there and, and, and literally on the roof, that was your internet. You know, you, that was your screen, like the roof. And you could just sit back and you could, you could just look at, look at that, let it drive you to your meeting. And then it would arrange a meeting for you with, with someone else in your company or a customer along your route. And then if traffic was delayed, it would work it out for you and then change the, change your route and change your destination along the way. So you could have a business meeting wherever you wanted to, right? Or wherever the car sure. thought was, was apt, you know, but I mean, in, in terms of like Amazon and the, the bricks and mortar retail outlets, they're launching, um, I think there's a lot more that we haven't seen yet. I mean, it's it's just moving fast. You know, we, if we were if we knew what it was, we would we would kind of get a bit lost. I think because there's there's just so much sort of coming along, really, and there's so much. Data. Yeah, any one of them. well, there's so yeah. so much of it, isn't there? And it's and it's just sort of working out. I mean, I think the major issue is is actually working out what what to do with that data isn't it and then and then actually you know what tools are you going to use i mean i went i went to wimbledon and saw spoke to watson at wimbledon which was hugely interesting and and i think the databases of chat for chatbot chat is is becoming is becoming huge within five years time the people who actually do want to speak to someone on the telephone are going to make it and are going to actually find it a lot easier to speak to a, a computer generated um uh computer generated ai person if you like uh, on on the phone or on a chatbot and actually that is fed by the same database of information right i mean i've i've been doing a little bit of digging into that and and i think that yes there are going to be people who want to speak to a real human not a problem but that's even going to become easier because people have had they've had yes. enough of, of not having access to the right information they're very impatient and they will they will change you know right well you see the benefit of the let's just tackle a chatbot or uh, in, also known as conversational interfaces but widely known as chatbots the, the you know people are always lamenting the fact that well ai is going to steal our jobs and take our jobs and make things less efficient if you think about just scheduling right or we did we did an appointment today to schedule this interview imagine if you're a recruiter or you're a chro or a talent manager at a large organization like accenture accenture hires 40,000 people a year yeah. scheduling interviews like just one person usually has to interview with five or six people to get a job at the organization well that need that can instead of having a person who only knows english or only knows you know mandarin uh and only works from nine to five monday to friday uh what we're seeing now is being replaced by chatbots because chatbots have don't take lunch they don't go, you know they work 24 hours a day they speak 120 different languages and then a, a large majority of scheduling, sending out the invitation, finding availability on five different people's calendars. Now, Matt, multiply that by 30,000, 40,000 new employees per, per year who have to meet with six or seven people at your organization. That becomes a massive, massive 
problem and and just ripe for not only disruption, but also for improvement and innovation. So we're seeing things like chatbots take over in areas like that, where it's, the way of doing that we currently do business makes no sense at all when you realize that you can do things, you can automate things in a way that uh, that makes it more efficient for everyone. So now a person who's coming in from Mexico who may not know English can chat with a chatbot in Spanish 24-7 and schedule an interview and not even know, by the way, that they're not talking to a human. Yeah. You know, like to them, they're getting an email. That email is coming from an email address. And most people just assume it's a human sending out the email. But increasingly, it's being sent out. All the invitations, all the scheduling, all of that is being done by chatbots. And I think that's, a, you know, it takes away all that low-level work and, and craziness of hiring people just to do scheduling when all that could be automated. So I think there, there are places where automation makes a ton of sense and the jobs that it'll displace really shouldn't be there in the first place. They're just a legacy of the inertia of the old ways of doing business. Oh, yeah. There are other places where I'm a little bit more fearful. You know, I am a little bit fearful about AI and, and, and bots um, in, in certain other areas where, you know, we really do need human oversight, but that's probably a topic for a whole nother show or a whole week's worth of, uh, of content yeah, yeah. On, uh, on the future of AI. Well, we could, yeah, we could talk about that most certainly. I think it's a very interesting topic. There, there's just so much going on that actually it is, it is quite amazing. I think, I think also in broadcasting, like if you think Wimbledon's taken on their own broadcasting now, right, they run the show, yeah, with, with IBM in partnership, yeah. So that's going to happen throughout the world. Big, big sporting events, big, big events are just going to take that broadcasting away from Sky, away from uh, people like the BBC and stuff. But they will, they will sell them a license. So it's almost like they're just putting a person in between. It's like an in-between kind of uh, distributor, if you like, you know, who's going to sell the rights to the highest bidder. So that's, that's another thing that is, uh, is hugely exciting as well. Definitely. Yeah, but we can talk. We can talk another show. Let's do another show about about this kind of stuff. And I'll go out there and and, and do a bit more research and have a sort of think about it. And we'll uh, we'll see what we can. Yeah, I would love to. And you, hey, look, you know, I'd love to. Uh, there are people who have written. I don't know if you know about Team Human, but Douglas Rushkoff is very much a proponent of you know keeping the humanity and technology. And he's just written a book called Team Human. And there are other people who've written eloquently on both sides. There's a great. Chinese author who's written about AI and the future of AI, and maybe we could pull together a great panel or a couple of guests who have, uh, you know, some who lean towards the technology side and others who lean towards humanity, and see if we could find something in the middle. That's a really, that's a really great idea. There are loads. There are just so many directions that you can sort of take this conversation in. You know that it's, it is, it yeah. is, it is a huge, uh, huge conversation. Really, you know absolutely people just becoming lazy as well you know they just don't they just don't uh, don't exercise they're going to put these virtual headsets on and, and and they'll just be won't be going anywhere they'll just like waste away much like some of these films that are, what was that film with the blue alien you remember that film was it um with uh scarlett johansson yeah, yeah that was a crazy movie yeah you know, but it's like the imagination. Like if you if you look back to the to the to the video of that those what was it called? There were those three robots, and one of them one of them actually it was like thirty years ago. Do you remember that? Right, right. And they and they actually had like tank wheels and stuff, and they and they basically just weren't Johnny Five. That was the guy's name. I can't remember the name of the film, 
But but Johnny Five mm-hmm. was the robot, and he actually reprogrammed the other two robots, and he and 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 and, and, and like basically he became a person and like that's something else that they're going through isn't it right now they're actually right cognition yeah yeah, yeah and certainly as we head debate. towards the singularity you know the, these are the big issues and kurtzweil over at google has written pretty eloquently about both the about the positives and the, the negatives about this but you know to sum up in in uh where we started and sort of circle back to how we started you know your big question was wow we've seen incredible things in the you know, at the 2014 event and then chief digital and, and data and also in cybersecurity. So now knowing that the last five years have seen this incredible, these incredible changes, what are the predictions going forward? What will we look like in five years, 10 years with blockchain and some of these new things coming out? I mean, it really is hard to predict. You know, it, it's just as challenging to predict as, you know, if you were in 1994 and 1995 and looking out to 2000, I don't, I don't think anybody could have predicted it uh, the way things laid out. Now, of course, you've got other countries in the world. Innovation is no longer limited to Silicon Valley, right? You've got uh, uh, Tech UK and you've got uh, uh, Shoreditch and everything going on in the East End. And now it's really, it, at every, even in the financial institutions, you're seeing innovation in fintech in, in London. It's everywhere. It's in China. It's in Japan. It's in Tel Aviv. Uh, innovation can come from anywhere. So uh, the for the ability to make predictions going forward is getting increasingly challenging. But I would say, you know, if you if you stick your bets on any organizations that are, you know, at the forefront of digital transformation or at the forefront of data-driven culture or are really concerned about cybersecurity, I think you, and blockchain, I think you've made, you know, three or four pretty good bets. Just uh, the question is, how does this how does this all uh, lay out? And I think it's a positive vision for the future for humanity. I really do think, you know, these driverless cars, as you point out, be nice to sit in a Mercedes and, you know, not have to do any physical driving. I think it's a smart move by Google and Apple and others because, you know, basically cars turn into a, a mobile office. Yeah. They turn into a mobile living room where, you know, kids don't have to focus on driving. You're basically uh, enjoying each other's company as you're getting from point A to point B. It's not wasted time anymore. It's actually productive time instead of time just being spent stuck in a car. Yeah. And also, I think we should get what they promised us, which was reduced working hours, better lifestyle, right? That's what these things are supposed to be doing for us, yeah? But the challenge is, is that there's so much information out there that unless we have almost a guide that helps us to learn more and to get the job done, right? Like to, to get the CDO job done, yeah? Or to get your your job done as an entrepreneur, right? You need advice and you need knowledge from people that know and earth what they're doing and they know how to save you time and effort, right? And if we can leverage That's that, good. plus we can keep the global uh, consumerization going, yeah? we can actually launch uh, and also a minimum basic income like they say in the second machine age which is a book that i love i i think that we've got a really great place to be and to live if we can actually provide first of all fix the fix the uh, the the hunger problem and the accommodation and fix the fix the global um crisis with 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 um uh, the environment right if we can do all of that then you know life's going to be absolutely brilliant if we if we live long enough i love it yeah <laughs> and yeah and you know technology is allowing us to live longer and longer and healthier 
in our old age. And, you know, one of the, uh, again, I brought up Doug Roshkoff, but you brought up universal basic income. And uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar, you know, it's basically saying that, you know, if these uh, technology is putting us out of business, how can we ensure that everybody has a standard of living that's, you know, a high quality of life, place to live, food, insurance, you know, healthcare, et cetera, in this new age? Well, Doug is a kind of... um, uh, counterculturalist for, for, for lack of a better word, but he used to be really in favor of universal basic income. But his recent book uh, called Team Human, he's arguing against it. He's basically saying what we should be giving people is an ownership stake in these platforms that we're creating. And here's what I mean by that. I don't want to uh, I, I, t- t- take words out of his mouth. But yeah, here's what he's saying. He's saying essentially when, when Huffington Post got bought by AOL, uh, Ariana Huffington made the majority of the, of the revenues from it. And yet all of these people like you and I were contributing content that made Huffington Post valuable. It was all contributed content. Nobody got paid except for a few editors and journalists. So the same thing is true on just about every platform, on Spotify, on Pandora, on Facebook, especially on Instagram, on YouTube. We, you and I, are all the ones who are adding content, adding our friends, liking, commenting, sharing content. And we're not we're not benefiting from any of that work that quote-unquote work that we're doing. And yet, uh, you know, so what Douglas Rushkoff is suggesting is the universal basic income is a handout instead of, you know, teaching somebody how to fish. It's basically giving people just enough money to continue to make Google and Facebook richer, Mm. right? Because you're going to take that money and you're going to spend it on Amazon and you're going to spend it on, you know, on on other platforms to to buy content, to buy, buy products. And so he's suggesting instead of that, why not give the workers uh, their fair share of ownership? There should be platforms that come out using blockchain or other technology that can actually do this. And that, I think, is even more interesting than a UBI because then you're not asking for a handout. You're just saying, hey, look, I'm helping to build this platform. I'm bringing my friends into it. I'm posting photos to it. I'm posting videos to it to get more people to look at it and to like and to comment and to share. When Facebook gets acquired or when you're handing out your you know, uh, your, your uh, benefits to the shareholders, we should be included in that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great argument. But again, I think you need, a tech, you need a platform in which to be able to service that ownership stake. And I think blockchain finally is some, uh, but, but based on the fact that it can track and it does authentication and provenance uh, and microtransactions where you can get paid for content, there's finally hopefully going to be a platform that can actually make this come to fruition. Now, blockchain is way too slow to do this, especially with microtransactions. And that's why you think it might be a semi-private uh, thing like a Hedera hash graph mm-hmm. might be more useful. But um, so I certainly think that there's some merit to what Doug is suggesting there. Yeah, well, I think there is a platform that's being launched at the moment around that. But there, there, there have been talks about them for years. Nothing worked yet, but I think it will. Sure. But in my world, I, you know, well, in my old trade, in the drinks industry, there's plenty of opportunity, providing you, you go for the next trend in five years' time. And that is going to be rum, believe it or not. I agree. If we knew that, we'd both be we'd both be a VC, I guess, or seed investors. My godfather and and his his guys they've they've actually um, founded a distillery in Grenada, which is which is amazing. They they're, they're going for full traceability from field to bottle. Right, that is also what's going to happen with blockchain. It's happening already with blockchain, and 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 actually proving that something originated here 
and it has arrived here and it's the same product it hasn't changed and these are the things that went into it yeah when we were at the london event not the first year in 2014 but the second london event that you participated in in 2015 we had a guy from fordraw who was talking all about tracking provenance and how they were helping yeah. the distilleries and the uh, beverage industries to track, for example, the provenance of, of whiskey or wine. And what they did was they put a yeah. chip on the top of the bottle so that you could tell where that bottle originated and where it went through the distribution. But then what he found was people yeah. were actually uh, um, uh, faking the chips. That they, so now all of a sudden, you know, you think you're tracking the provenance of the bottle, but they moved the, the, the smugglers and the, the, the thieves moved from changing the provenance of the, 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 the contents of the wine to actually changing the provenance of the chips. So you, so there, nice. there is real challenges still in this, but you know, you think, okay, blockchain is going to solve everything and we can now do provenance and understand the authentication of a painting or, 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 or whiskey or wine or whatever it might be. But then new challenges come up, right? Now we got to make sure that the chip isn't fake. Well, that's the point of, of human and automation, right. right? It needs to be joint. We need to work out what jobs we don't want to do. And then we need to hand them over to someone or a system that actually does those things for us. And, and that's a perfect spot to end because I know you've run, you're rushing to get to a meeting. So, Well, I appreciate that, but I would say that is a perfect spot to end because, you know, thinking about where we are and what we're doing, I think I, I'm delighted in, in the work that we're doing and helping these leaders in digital and data and cybersecurity figure out these next few years ahead and get their jobs done efficiently and effectively. And kudos to you too for having a program like this that brings on all of these thought leaders and experts in these fields and in marketing as well, which you know so well. Uh, we really appreciate it because these, these types of interviews really help people think about the future and where humanity and uh, technology intersect and uh, getting the best of both worlds for, for a team human. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.